Today's broadcast is brought to you by Pleasureland RV, best in the Midwest. Learn more at PleasurelandRV.com. Welcome, everybody, to WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830. I am Rob Dreesline, Managing Editor-Publisher of Outdoor News. It is State Fair season, everybody. You may have heard about that. Uh, Outdoor News has a booth out at the State Fair. We are at the corner of Judson and Nelson, right behind the DNR stage. I will be working that booth on Tuesday and Wednesday afternoons into the evening. Would love to uh, converse chat with some of the the listeners to this broadcast so by all means please stop out uh lots to talk about uh and and a great time of year looks like you know cool temperatures hanging in there looks through the middle part of the normal temperatures i should say it hasn't been cool cool this time of year would be like 60 degrees it hasn't gotten that cool during the day but it sure has been nice to have some normal temperatures I, i think that's why we've had great crowds all over the place uh, anything going on is is a lot of people, uh, folks, citizens are, are raring to go. Um, I am going to have Aaron Haybison with us a little bit later in the broadcast. Aaron is kind of the regional rep for Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, and that organization has got a big old announcement that is going to affect the state of Minnesota. It's pretty cool, and uh, the radio official radio announcement in the Twin Cities metro area, four uh, from BHA is going to be on this broadcast uh, during uh, this evening. So please stay tuned for that here in about, I don't know, 20, 25 minutes or so. In between, we're going to check in with a guy, Steve Knutson, who's written a pretty cool book uh, about uh, duck camp history in Minnesota. Yes, uh, there's there's a book for everything. And, uh, you know, we are coming up on the waterfall opener here very soon. So I thought, uh, hey, it's, it's time to get in a little uh, a little hunting chatter the early teal season kicks off on Saturday, September 2nd. That's this coming Saturday. runs five days. I want to remind folks, the DNR reminded folks here earlier this week, uh, this past week, I should say, uh, to be, the teal hunters need to be aware of wild ricers out there. And I am a wild ricer, so I would ask guys, if you're going out, wild ricer, you can be on the water harvesting from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Not, you know, maybe the best duck hunting hours anyway, but keep an eye out for guys out there push-pulling around uh, who are trying to uh, to harvest some wild rice because uh, it tis the season uh, for that. Uh, and I have not gotten out yet. I think I mentioned to listeners a couple weeks ago that I would be uh, chasing wild rice, quote-unquote chasing wild rice. I haven't gotten out yet. I'm hoping to get out maybe in the next uh, week to 10 days. Uh, congratulations to new, uh, we got t- 16 new conservation officers in Minnesota. The uh, Minnesota DNR issued a press release last week pointing out that uh, the latest graduates uh, moved through the uh, the state's CO Academy uh, so congratulations to those uh, 16 individuals who will be out there uh, working on behalf of uh, natural resources, uh, the uh, the enforcers out there taking care of uh, the, the fish and game and the lakes and streams uh, that uh, we certainly enjoy recreating on in Minnesota. Quick story I saw that, uh, I, I, that I had to comment on. I see uh, Theodore Roosevelt National Park, Ted Roosevelt National Park, I call it. Uh, Theodore and I were, were, were pretty tight. Uh there's a little bit of controversy out there. They apparently got a lot of wild horses bouncing around that property, a couple hundred wild horses, quote-unquote wild horses, which, of course, are just feral horses, everybody. Uh, I think uh, sometimes we hear, we hear the term wild horse and we assume uh, that these animals are uh, genetically linked to the uh, you know the wild Spanish stallions 
that got uh, loose when uh, what Coronado was exploring uh, the Southwest. Uh, that's no, it's, it's the narrative is not quite that interesting. Unfortunately, most of these wild horses that we have on public lands across the West uh, are the result of people just dumping them. All right, Susie uh, got a pony and decided after a year she was bored with it, so uh, they take it and they let it loose on some public lands, uh, and they're out there breeding and. You know, there's a lot of emotion about this. The Theodore Roosevelt National Park wants to remove them. They're a non-native species. You know, the, the park exists for for native animals like mule deer, uh, pronghorn, and you got wild horses out there eating, grazing, all the you know what there is for for forage. Uh, and and yet people love the horses. You know, we all love horses, right? They're big, beautiful, noble animals. I get it. Uh, you know, they're they're out there with their their manes sweeping through the wind. Uh, and and no one likes to hear about horses being you know harf quote unquote harvested. Uh, where I fall, I tend to be pretty pragmatic on this. Is that the national park exists to preserve uh, the fairly natural state, and we don't have a lot of places like that anymore. So I, I generally support removing wild horses wherever we can. Uh, I don't care what the feral animal is. I, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of feral animals out there destroying the environment, whether it's it's feral horses, feral pigs, or feral cats. Uh, I, I probably got some people's attention on that last one. Uh, you know, you could probably talk me into a small population of 20 or 30 because people like them and because there's a little bit of uh, historical cultural value to them, even though it's, it's my understanding, again, that the, these are not, you know, horses that have been there for long. Uh, I think I think I even read a story that goes back to like 1947. But uh, you know, take the emotion out of it, folks, and let's preserve these parks for the reason they exist. These natural spaces for the the reasons that they that they indeed exist. Uh, and uh, you know, manage it, get it down to 35, 50 animals, and uh, I think Rob Dreesine probably uh, could deal with that. Um, but uh, again, a lot of emotion. You know, the stories you see, the the subhead says beloved wild horses being. Uh, shot or, or removed by the national, the big nasty federal government, and uh, unfortunately, uh, the the practical narrative uh, is the one I got to go with. Anyway, uh, that's my uh, my rant to kick off this week's installment of WCCO Outdoors. We're going to take a break. When we return, we will talk with Steve Knutson, author Steve Knutson. He's based here in the Twin Cities, and then in about uh, fifteen minutes, we will touch base with my friend Aaron Hebison from Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. So don't go away. More WCCO Outdoors coming at you after these messages. Welcome back, everybody, to WCCO Outdoors on this Sunday, August 27th, first Sunday of State Fair 2023. I am Rob Jerisline, and I will be working the outdoor news booth this coming Tuesday and Wednesday afternoons into the evening at the corner of Judson and Nelson, right behind the DNR stage. So if you're out there enjoying some of the natural resources, exhibits, the fish pond, etc., please swing by that outdoor news booth when you're done. I'd love to meet folks, chat with you a little bit about uh, what we talk about here on WCCO Outdoors every Sunday afternoon. In about 15 minutes, please stay tuned. Aaron Haybison from Backcountry Hunters and Anglers is going to join the broadcast. Very excited to have the radio-exclusive announcement of what's coming to the Twin Cities next April. But first, a little waterfowl talk. We are bearing down on some duck hunting, believe it or not. Uh, that is a sure sign of fall. The 
early teal season, I believe, kicks off on September 2nd. And so it's a good time to look back and talk about some classic duck hunting that occurred here in Minnesota. And a gentleman who compiled some fascinating history about Minnesota duck hunting, specifically duck camps, is joining us now. His name is Steve Knutson. He hails from Apple Valley. And he wrote a book called Minnesota Duck Camps, 160 Years of History and Tradition. He joins us here now to talk a little bit of classic duck hunting. Steve, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Rob. Thanks a lot for uh, for calling in. This book uh, first appeared back in February. Uh, you were telling me off air you come from a uh, kind of a, a technology background. How did a guy like you uh, decide to write a book about classic duck camps here in Minnesota? The honest answer is it was by accident. I didn't really have an intention to do that. But I, I grew up on a farm in Ottertill County, and I started duck hunting when I was 13 or 14 years old before I could you know, drive to duck hunt. We had to walk around to wherever we were, where we were hunting. So how I got started was uh, I had have a friend, Doug Lodermeyer, who's written some duck, some books on Minnesota duck decoys, Minnesota duck calls. And he was giving a presentation in Chicago about seven years ago on, on that subject. And I, I went to that uh, presentation. And during that talk, he mentioned that he was going to be working on a new book and that he was going to look to uh, gather up some history on duck hunting in Minnesota in addition to the the information on duck calls and uh, duck decoys. He specifically mentioned Lake Christina. He wanted to get some history about that. So I volunteered to uh, do some research in that area if, if he wanted help because I did grow up not too far from that area, and uh, we still have a cabin up in that area, and I go hunting uh, in the fall in that same general vicinity. So he took me up on that offer and had me do some research on duck decoys in the Lake Christina area. And uh, I did that, and that led to some other research that he had me look into. As a result of that, I started running into information on old duck hunting camps. And so I took that information and sort of set it aside in a binder. And after a while, it got to be a pretty big pile of information. And, and it turned into a really huge book, uh, 750 pages that uh, Tori McCormick wrote was edited down from 900. Uh, this baby weighs six pounds. It's really densely packed with all sorts of information and photos. When was the heyday of, of duck camps in Minnesota? Is, is, is it past? Uh, I guess one of the things that uh, I found most surprising was how early in Minnesota history the duck camp started. Uh, by 1861, there were already duck hunting clubs, formal clubs, the uh, mm. St. Paul Sportsman. By 1862, there was a uh, duck hunting destination up in uh, Anoka County uh, uh, called the uh, Van Ellsberg Roadhouse. It was a, a way station on the uh, on the uh, stagecoach line. It was right, right on Rice Lake there, just a little ways west of Centerville. And that was the start of... Uh, hunting clubs and duck club locations. And uh, by 1867, the St. Paul Sportsman, for example, had their hunting club at that Van Ellsberg destination. And then in the 1870s and 1880s, the railroads were coming through the state. There was a lot of activity. Hunters from the East Coast came to Minnesota and traveled the railroads. And uh, as the railroads came across the state, they started hunting some of the best locations, Heron Lake, Lake Christina. They killed a lot of birds, too, didn't they, back then? <laughs> Limits were uh, were very different back in those days. 
Yeah, and there, there really, uh, to begin with, there weren't any limits. And mm-hmm. then there were big limits. And uh, so you see pictures. Uh, there's, there's one picture in the book that's kind of iconic. It's uh, a hunting group called the uh, Railroad Gun Club. And they hunted out in western Minnesota. They took a trip out to Wheaton in that area and then went uh, on into Dakota Territory. There's a picture of when they come back from that trip. There's a boxcar that was part of their uh, their train, and uh, there's 634, I think, birds uh, nailed onto the side of that wow. railroad car. You're listening to WCCO Outdoors. Rob Dreesline here as your host. We're chatting with Steve Knutson about his uh, fascinating new book that he wrote. It was published earlier this year, Minnesota Duck Camps. 160 years of history and tradition. Uh, the uh, Tory story, when uh, which when he profiled your book, talked about kind of the bottom falling out. What in the 1930s, uh, kind of that era when we had the the good old Dust Bowl days. Yeah, and leading up to the 30s, uh, it, it it was sort of a heyday. 1915 to, into the 1920s, there was a huge increase in the number of duck camps around the state. So that's one time you could look at had as a heyday of the duck hunting. But then at the end of the 20s and into the 30s, uh, as you mentioned, when the Dust Bowl days started, then there was a, a real decline and a real uh, slowdown. You know, places like Swan Lake, you know, a very famous place uh, in southern Minnesota, almost totally dried up, as did a lot of locations around the state. So the duck hunting really declined in that time frame and then picked up again when the Dust Bowl days were sort of over, the end of the 30s and you know, into the 40s, and uh, it sort of took off again at that time. And did duck camps rebound also, or did the number of duck camps decline? I mean, certainly today there's a lot fewer than there were, you know, 100 years ago, I presume. Probably, but another thing that uh, I found really interesting was how many duck camps, currently active duck camps there are. There's, There's over 200 currently active duck camps that are documented in the book, and the other Pretty interesting statistic to me was how many currently active duck hunting camps have been active for over 100 years. There's over 50 of those camps in that category, you know, been active for uh, over 100 years. Some of them have been active for, you know, 140 years. Steve, you've been hunting a long time, I'm guessing 50 years plus. You've been chasing waterfowl. Do you you hunt other species or are you uh, primarily a waterfowl man? I probably do more duck hunting than anything else. I do like uh, going out on the early early goose hunt mm-hmm. for field hunting in, in Minnesota primarily. And, and I deer hunt in the fall. Uh, and those are primarily uh, what I hunt in, mm-hmm. in Minnesota. Yeah, we just saw some latest uh, duck tallies continentally from uh, Ducks Unlimited, from the Fish and Wildlife Service. We saw the state numbers a few weeks ago. Uh, showing numbers down from last year and all below the long-term average. What's your take? I mean, does it seem like duck numbers indeed have declined during your lifetime? I would say so. What I specifically remember is back in my high school days, the bluebills. Mm-hmm. You know, we would yeah, wait Scott. for the bluebill flight to come from, from Canada, and we would hope that, uh, you know, it happened on a weekend when we weren't in school or something <laughs> like that. So we could yeah. we could hit that bluebill flight because that was just fantastic hunting. and. That's probably the biggest change that that I can uh, see. That in in the uh, when I was hunting in high school, we we barely saw a Canadian goose, and of course now there's there's all kinds of Canadian or honkers around. 
Sure, yeah, goose hunting is, uh, there's lots of opportunity for that, but we don't see those flights of scop, lesser scop, and, uh, and and some of the other birds. I'm getting a little worried about teal, too. It seems like their numbers uh, are continuing to show some declines. Uh, you know, coming back to your book, this certainly must have been a labor of love to spend six years doing this. Any uh, thoughts or, or quick conclusions before we go about Minnesota duck camp culture that surprised you? Well, I think, uh, as I mentioned before, how early it started, 1860s, how well-known the hunting in Minnesota was uh, nationally starting in 1870s when uh, these prominent businessmen would come from the East Coast uh, in Pennsylvania and and, uh, New Orleans and all over the country to go duck hunting in Minnesota. And when they hunted back then, they didn't come for a weekend. They came for several weeks at a time. So I think that was interesting, the, the sheer uh, quantity of duck camps. There's over 400 that we've identified in the book. Mm-hmm. And since the book came out, I've received a lot of information from people about camps I hadn't heard about. So oh. <laughs> there, there's a lot more camps still out there. Sure. Oh, fascinating. Well, if folks want to uh, check it out, uh, if they're interested in buying a copy, the holiday season is coming. It looks like maybe the easiest way is to just uh, go to Facebook and search Minnesota Duck Camps. Uh, you've got a Facebook page. It looks like a good way to, to reach you and uh, buy the book directly from you, huh? Uh, yep. Minnesota Duck Camps on Facebook uh, is a good way to do it. Or they could email me directly at mnduckcamps at gmail.com. Either way will work, we'll work fine. Well, where are you going to be hunting uh, early season? Uh, back up in Ottertail County? Yep. Back up in Ottertail County. We've got a spot that hopefully nobody else has found yet. And uh, that's where we're going to be. Good. Well, good luck to you, Steve. Thanks for joining me, and uh, I hope uh, hope you have a great fall hunting season for multiple species. Well, you as well. Thank you. That was Steve Knutson, author of a pretty cool new book, Minnesota Duck Camps, 160 Years of History and Tradition. Let's break. We're going to have a big announcement from backcountry hunters and anglers when we return. You're listening to WCCO Outdoors. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to WCCO Outdoors. Rob Driesline is with you for another segment on this Sunday, August 27th, 2023, first Sunday of State Fair. Uh, we, uh, I want to thank Steve Knutson, who joined us in the last segment. Steve uh, is uh, an author who has written a book about duck camps here in Minnesota. Who knew? Huh? There's a book for everything. But now, hey, I alluded to it earlier. I kind of teased the fact that we're going to have a big announcement on WCCO Outdoors. And I'm flattered and honored that uh, my next guest has agreed to join me on this broadcast to talk about what's cooking. His name is Aaron Haybison. He's the regional chapter coordinator for Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. Now, BHA is based out in Missoula, Montana. We had Lantani on here Oh, gosh, less than a month ago or so. We've had other guests. Aaron, I think, has probably joined us on the broadcast before. But, Aaron, welcome. You are based here in the Midwest, right? I sure am. Yep, I'm right here in uh, Red Wing, Minnesota. Yeah, you're you're from Minnesota. And and tell us about backcountry hunters and anglers again. Tell us a little bit about your role for a moment. Yeah, so backcountry hunters and anglers is a conservation organization um, that focuses on public lands, waters, and wildlife and trying to keep that access open. Uh, and doing stewardship projects surrounding that that public lands, whether that's cleaning up boat ramps or removing fences from WMAs, uh, as well as advocating for those public lands with the legislature. And so I'm the regional chapter coordinator overseeing chapters here in uh, the Midwest, so covering Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, Illinois, and Missouri. 
Now, as I've pointed out before, there's a, there's a lot of conservation groups in the United States, uh, and I'm, many of them have joined me on this broadcast in the past, but BHA has really been one of the fastest-growing conservation groups over the past decade or so. It's really seemed to have picked up a lot of momentum among some of the younger folks. Why do you think that is, Aaron? Why why has BHA done so well at connecting with uh, you know millennials and, and, and now even these Gen Z guys? Yeah, I think there's a few reasons that BHA has seen the success that we have. And, um, you know, part of it is that we're not species-specific. So whether you duck hunt, deer hunt, turkey hunt, uh, you know, elk hunt, or even just uh, bird watch, berry pick, and like to go camping and hiking. Uh, it's something that really anyone can be a part of, and that whether you're, uh, whatever activities you're doing out on public lands, our organization is kind of out there for you. Now, BHA every year has its big national rendezvous, and I was out at the one in Missoula in 2022. I don't know if I told you, Aaron, I, I, I landed in Spokane, and then I drove over the pass because I got a cheaper flight to get into Missoula. As I was driving back, I got a speeding ticket. I am living proof that you can get a speeding ticket in the state of Montana. Uh, that <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to hit you up for, you know, to help pay the bill or anything, but, uh, I, I indeed, uh, I, I got, I got my, got one of my last, uh, speeding tickets out there in Montana when, for that event, but the rendezvous is a great time. Uh, tell us about rendezvous and why it's, uh, it's, it's such a big deal. What are some of the things that, that happen at that annual event? Yeah. So the BHA North American rendezvous has been something that's going on. Um, you know, BHA started around a campfire in 2004, and it was this idea that we've got a number of other groups out there advocating for certain species, uh, but nobody's out there being the voice for our public lands. And so this group got together, and over the, this will be the 14th rendezvous. And so this is essentially, you know, our national convention, uh, and it's something that it's, it's kind of our Super Bowl uh, at BHA, and really the good time that, that we have is, I uh, would say, focused around the idea that back in you know the 1800s you would get these mountain men and these trappers who would come out of the mountains and this was the one time a year they got to get together and celebrate and party and create <laughs> goods and share stories uh and that was always at their annual rendezvous and so the idea of the bha rendezvous is really focused around that kind of idea of, of bringing people together from across the country sharing stories sharing tips and tactics and uh you know, really having a, a good time you know, sharing all that information. You're listening to WCCO Outdoors. I am Rob Jerisline from Outdoor News. We are chatting with Aaron Habeisen, the regional chapter coordinator for backcountry hunters and anglers. Now, BHA is based in Missoula, Montana, and this rendezvous that Aaron just was telling us about has always been held out in Missoula. I think it was in Boise one year. It's always been held out in the West. Well, What's the big announcement, Aaron? I'll let you. Uh, I'll let you cut to the chase here. Finally, yeah. So uh, it's as you said. It's it's always been something that's been based in the West, and we are super excited to release that uh, here on WCCO Radio uh, <laughs> for the first time. It will be coming east of the Mississippi River, so it will be in uh, April 18th through the 20th of 2024. We will be hosting the North American Rendezvous for BHA at the Minnesota State Fairgrounds. So just a little bit west of the Mississippi River, right? I saw yeah, some. Yeah, <laughs> not by much, but hey, we'll count it. <laughs> you better believe it. Yeah. Well, this is a really big deal. Uh, you know, folks out there listening, I want I want to make it clear. This is I'm really excited about it. We've had you know, we've got St. Paul based Pheasants Forever, and whenever they do their uh, their national Pheasant Fest in the Twin Cities, it's a great time. It's a party, uh, but they're based here. 
Uh, you guys are based out west, and by golly, the first time you've decided to take it out of really a small core area in the inner mountain west, it's coming to Minnesota. Why? Why this destination, Aaron? Yeah, well, it's uh, we're we're so excited to come to Minnesota, and I've been involved with BHA since 2016, and really since I joined the chapter, it's kind of been this hush hush idea of man, wouldn't it be cool if we could get that to Minnesota? And so we've been quietly, you know, suggesting to uh, BHA headquarters to, that, you know, Minnesota would be a great spot to do it. And so we put in a bid a couple of years ago. The Minnesota chapter put together an excellent bid and said, you know, we've got this really strong chapter. We're the fourth largest BHA chapter in the country. And uh, so a really good, strong base for having it here. Uh, we've got excellent recreational opportunities outdoors, whether that's fishing. Uh, this is going to be during turkey hunting season. So there's opportunities for folks not only to come experience rendezvous, but to do some outdoors activities at the same time. And uh, between that and, you know, one of the tough parts about having it out in the West is Missoula is a tough place to fly into. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you only get one flight a day and it's expensive and there's not as many hotels. And so we wanted to do it somewhere very centrally located, somewhere Minnesotans would recognize, but also someplace that folks coming from Pennsylvania or Florida or New Mexico or Montana would recognize and go, okay, that's we we can get there. That's a cool spot. Let's let's make that happen. And they can do it in a single flight. Yeah, from from either coast. I mean, you know, we we rant and rave sometimes about being stuck in the middle of the country here, sometimes a long ways from the ocean. But for everybody in the United States, in the in the lower forty eight, you're no more than a three max four hour three and a half four hour flight from anywhere in the states to get to Minneapolis St. Paul. So we really are a great, you know, central location. To, to have this event. Plus, you know, the state fairgrounds, uh, very busy as we speak, but April is, is a volatile time. Whether you're in Missoula, Minnesota, almost anywhere in the country, April can be volatile. State fair's got some facilities to, to do things indoors or outdoors, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And that was something that we had heard over the previous rendezvous is we've had them at exclusively outdoor venues. We've had them at exclusively indoor venues. And had, you know, some mixed reviews on what was good, what wasn't. And we wanted some place that could offer that sort of outdoor feel uh, of an original Trapper's Rendezvous with tents and boats and things like that. You know, some some ability for dogs to run around outside. Uh, but also having the indoor infrastructure that would allow for our, you know, vendors to not have to worry if their tents are going to blow over in the wind or that they're going to get rained out. And so we've, we've got kind of the best of both worlds. Aaron, I got to think as the regional chapter coordinator, you view this as a great opportunity to build membership here, especially in the upper Midwest. There's got to be a lot of people listening who are like, what's this BHA all about? Well, this is a great opportunity to go to the fairgrounds. Everybody knows how to get to the fairgrounds and go learn about this organization and its mission and its values and, and perhaps become a member themselves. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we hear it time and time again uh, at, a, at a rendezvous that people kind of come and they go, you know, I found, I found my people. Uh, you know, and again, no, no matter what you kind of do in the outdoors, if you are a hardcore pheasant hunter or duck hunter, you're going to find someone there who you haven't met before. And within minutes, you're going to be willing to share a hunting camp with them. It's just a really inviting group of folks, uh, who are willing to share recipes and share tactics and heck half the time share waypoints with you on uh, where to go. Or they might say, yeah, come out and join me on the next, on the next elk hunt. Uh, and so like I said, it's, it's one of those groups that, like I said, really kind of speaks to anybody. 
for folks listening here saying, I'm, I'm intrigued. What will I see at this rendezvous? What are some of the, the things that occur? You got, you got seminars, correct? You got, uh, you got other speakers. You've got the big cook-off, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's a party in itself. It is, yeah. There's a lot of parts and pieces that go into making a rendezvous a rendezvous, uh, sort of some sub-events that go on within that. Uh, as you said, our wild game cook-off, uh, chapters versus other chapters from other states that I've been lucky enough to, to partake in and, and be part of when, you know, Minnesota's been competing. And, you know, you'll have somebody on one side from Arizona making uh, javelina tacos and somebody on the other side of you making sweet and sour uh, mountain lion. Uh, from Washington State, so uh, it's it's super unique. You bring a lot of that cooking element in, which again is super inviting to you know folks from from all walks. And uh, so obviously the wild game cookoff that's a giant piece of it. Our campfire stories event, uh, which usually has some sort of celebrity uh, folks and and some personalities that folks might be familiar with, telling some stories of field um, and sharing, like I said, kind of their experiences on public land. Obviously, big vendor fair from some of the uh, the usual suspects that you might think of: uh, First Light, Vortex, Onyx Hunt, uh, Costa Sunglasses. Some of the the big outdoor brands uh, being a part of that, and then as well as um, some policy and skills seminars. Uh, you know, it might be anything from last year. There was a canning seminar, uh, you know, butchering seminars. Um, Different, uh, you know, how to how to call in geese or turkeys, or how to scout for mule deer, uh, how to get your western hunting tag. So, really, kind of covers the gambit of what you're interested in. There's there's going to be a seminar or a uh, speaker for you. I appreciate you mentioned the public policy seminars because that's that's you know it, yeah it's a party it's a good time but there will be some serious discussion too on some national conservation issues you pointed that out in the outdoor news story but which by the way is at outdoornews.com uh, if folks want more information uh, the event is going to be the backcountry hunters and anglers North American rendezvous it will be right here in the Twin Cities at the state fairgrounds April 18th to 20th 2024 it's going to be a good time I will be there all weekend uh, and I before before we go, we should point out uh, we've talked a lot about Lantani uh, leaving Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, the longtime CEO. The plan, as I understand it, is to try to have a new CEO in place and introduce that person at this rendezvous uh, by next April. Is that correct, Aaron? Yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, you know, obviously it'll go through the hiring process, but we're hoping to have that person uh, be in place and have their feet under them uh, so this can really be kind of their sort of coming out party. And uh, I guess one thing I don't know if we've mentioned, but uh, and I, I said the organization started in 2004. So this is going to be our 20th mm, anniversary. Right. Mm. Uh, so we are pulling out all the stops, uh, you know, like I said, with the folks that we're going to have attending and the seminars. And really, this is this is to celebrate how big BHA has come and how far we've come over the last 20 years uh, and celebrate that in a very new and different way in coming to Minnesota. Perfect. Aaron, I'm out of time, but uh, one more time I will remind folks, backcountryhunters.org is the uh, is the website or uh, go to outdoornews.com you can read the read the full story here there and uh, there's a number of links to the uh, the backcountry uh, hunters and anglers website uh, the, the the page in fact devoted to this event so congratulations Aaron for for getting it done bringing it home I'm looking forward to talking to you a lot about it between now and next April we'll promote it a lot here on WCCO outdoors April 18th to the 20th 2024 the North American rendezvous for backcountry hunters and anglers Aaron thanks a lot for joining me man Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Rob.
Let's get in a break. We will have more WCCO Outdoors after these messages. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to WCCO Outdoors. Rob Dreesline is with you for our final segment of this week's broadcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. I appreciate uh, all the listeners and the great feedback I get from the show. Reminder, I will be out at the Outdoor News booth uh, behind the DNR stage at the corner of Judson and Nelson this Tuesday and Wednesday afternoon. Would love to talk to listeners, get some feedback uh, about this broadcast, about outdoor topics in general. Uh, it's one of my favorite times of year uh, at Game Fair and State Fair when I get to interact uh, with folks directly. So please uh, stop on out there if you would like to chat a bit. Uh, I uh, This past week, I was chaperoning my son's cross-country team. He's, uh, he's a captain, I'm proud to say, a captain of his cross-country team here in the Southwest Metro. And... Uh, <laughs> I, so they they do the summer miles trip, and so the parents of the captains kind of uh, are are you know, obligated, but we're happy to do it. Go in uh, and uh, chaperone these trips, which basically means feeding very hungry runners for three and a half days, just meal after meal after meal, and and you know all these kids are just they all got you know zero percent body fat, even though they all they do is eat. But anyway, good good problem to have, I guess, when you're a young person. Uh, but we did some trivia things. We did some other things with them at night. And, and there was one thing that caught my attention. Uh, there was a trivia question. What is the nation's first national park? What's the United States' first national park? And, I mean, I can answer that question about as quickly as I can tell you my name. Uh, I was a little surprised at the silence <laughs> in the room. And finally, I think, you know, they, like, debated it, and some kid in the back said, Yellowstone? You know, I, I presume it was the only national park he could name. And, yeah, it, it's, it's Yellowstone. And I, I it, it just kind of came back around. I mean, even my own kid was in there. Uh, my my son, who's spent a lot of time, in, and he's been to Yellowstone, been to a lot of national parks, spent a lot of time in the Boundary Waters. By the way, his team won the uh, the canoe races thanks to his ability to steer a canoe better than anyone else because of the time that he has spent in the Boundary Waters. But it just kind of it gave me pause. Like, man, my own son couldn't answer that question that quickly. What you know? Have I failed as a conservationist uh, that my that my son couldn't couldn't get that? And it, it just kind of came around that I, I think you know we need to do better on environmental conservation education in the United States when a question like that isn't just instantly answered. Uh, finally, hey, you know, I th- I think this is kind of a positive little story. It was on our uh, Beyond Minnesota page in this week's print edition of Outdoor News. A third pack of wolves has been found in Northern California. Uh, wolves slowly expanding around the West. And it wasn't that long ago there were zero wolves in California. There's now three packs. Uh, and this this pack is 200 miles from the other one. I guess it's in like the Sequoia National Forest, uh, Tulare, Tulare County. I, I don't know my Northern California geography that well. But I thought that was a, a positive sign for conservation, right, when people have become more tolerant of wolves. And, and it wasn't that long ago we thought wolves couldn't survive anywhere that wasn't wilderness. And they have shown what a resilient species they are when, you know, people just give them a little bit of a break. Uh, they're pretty sure these wolves probably uh, came down from, um, or, you know, that they're, that they're kind of recolonizing Northern California from Oregon. And, and they the, those packs, I think, started like in, in Yellowstone, right? They moved into Montana, Idaho, Wyoming, other parts of Wyoming. Uh, Colorado, I think, has got a few too now. And uh, now even Northern California has got a few wolf packs. And I think that's, uh, I think, you know, like any species, I'm fine with managing wolves. Uh, but I, I always think it's a, a positive sign for the, for the environment when you got an apex predator out there 
like the good old North American gray wolf. Well, hey, with that, I am out of time for this week's broadcast. I appreciate all the guests and all the listeners who have joined us. Everybody, have a great week out of doors. I will be back uh, next Labor Day weekend with you for another week of WCCO Outdoors.